Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. Today we're going to be discussing Diablo 4 and my initial impressions of the game. Um, and this is just going to be part one. Obviously, by part two, part three, it won't be initial impressions, but it'll just be Diablo 4 thoughts and summary and all of that. And... The reason why I'm doing this in parts as a continuous series is because the depth, complexity, scale, and live service model of this game can only properly and adequately be looked at in an ongoing format, right? A lot of reviewers who are better at this than I am, right, who will give me information on the game before I'm a able to play it, right, so I'm not at that caliber, right, and I never say, I'll never say I'm a video game journalist or a critic, I just love playing video games, um, I don't get the, and I, and I love to research it, right, and, and I love to get hands-on experience and just kind of bring all my thoughts together and allow the, those who, who appreciate to listen to, uh, hopefully have some insight or some entertainment value. So once again, thank you as always for joining the podcast. I'm your host, Psychic, P-S-Y-K-I-C-K, capital P, capital K. You know the drill by now. I've got music on all streaming platforms. I've got a YouTube channel with my short films. I've got more exciting news for my future albums and films coming down the line. So follow me at Psychic34 on Instagram. And I appreciate all the support as always. This episode is going to be a lengthy one. Okay. But I'm not going to try to make it boring. I'm just going to try to keep it with the exciting, entertaining, insightful, and important information that you may need or want to hear. And of course, my opinion, perspective, and thoughts on it. If you've heard me before, you know how I process things. These podcasts are recorded on my phone. And I'm an audio designer. I edit other people's podcasts. I am aware of the quality difference compared to some of your favorite podcasters. Here's the difference in my formatting of podcasts. I don't write a script. This is completely off the top of my head. Now, for those of you who may be worried about that, don't be too worried. Yes, I will go on plenty of tangents, but the way my brain works, and if you've been here before, you know the drill. They're all interconnected by the end. I find a way to circle back around. What this format allows me to do is, one, save a lot of time and energy and something that I love to do, but quite frankly don't have as much time or energy to put into it and wouldn't be able to sustain it if I don't do it this way. That's the first and foremost biggest reason why I do it off the top. But it allows me to enjoy it more. I'm not sticking to a very rudimentary script. I'm just talking about what I think and how I feel about something. I'm making analogies, I'm telling anecdotes, I'm, I'm telling stories, I'm, I'm a consumer. I formatted this because, my entire show, because this is how <laughs> sometimes, and, and my poor friends and, and family have to experience this, this is how they hear me talk about things. Obviously in this it's a little more polished, I'm a little more focused and streamlined, right? And it's in one full session. So this is of a higher quality for that reason, and I make sure I have my facts and research and data if I need it at hand, 
right? So I do, I'll do a little research. Uh, sometimes I write bullet points so I stay on track. So anyway, very general loose bullet points just to make sure I hit all the things I want to hit in the podcast. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So anyway, um, I, I just want you to know that's why. So I'll be walking around. You might hear my dog clickety-clackety in the other room, right? Um, and I like to do this while I walk around. You're going to hear the audio change, the quality. I'm in my house right now. I'm at home. So the reverb is going to change. All these kinds of things. Please just bear with me. I'm going to try to keep it as neutral and easy as a listening experience as it is right now, right? But for one, it prevents the sedentary lifestyle. <laughs> um, and I, I also think better while I'm walking and pacing. So yeah, I just want you all to know that's where this is coming from. This allows me to be more candid, more honest, make more realizations and connections, and uh, less of a filter towards things. So once again, I appreciate all the support. Thank you for coming by. We're going to have fun today. We're going to be talking about Diablo 4 my initial impressions and thoughts, and uh, yeah, so thank you all for coming by. Let's get into it. Also, there's no ad breaks. Um, since Anchor switched to Spotify for podcasters, they reverted my ad, eligib el ad eligibility and criteria for monetization. Once again, it's not like I was making bank off of it, but it was nice. Nice support is kind of rude that after three and a half years of being monetized, they just took it away because of an app format change. I am 14 listens away from being eligible criteria, so hopefully, this will do it. We'll see. Anyway, so I will be taking pauses and breaking this up in segments, and obviously, listen at your pace, but. There's no actual advertisements in between. So, if you're confused, if you haven't come back and listened in a while, that's why. Anyway, here we go. What is Diablo? Right? Some of you may know it, some of you may not. I'm not going to go into all the history and lore because, quite frankly, I don't know all of it. But I'll tell you the basics. Diablo is an ARPG, an action RPG, top-down isometric uh, game where the entire emphasis is you pick a class, you level up abilities and skills and attributes, you clear through dungeons, you kill enemies, you get loot. That's it. Right? It's not a strategy game, it's not an RTS game, it's not a it's not a, a you know, side-scrolling 2D platformer. It is a top-down 2.5D isometric, not 2.5D, it's 3D, but isometric action-adventure dungeon crawler, right? Taking a lot of inspiration in, in terms of world design and atmosphere from uh, the, uh, Dungeons and & Dragons and other high fantasy or dark fantasy elements, of course, mixing their own in there. Diablo's been a very, very long-standing franchise. You know, it... it uh, I think the first Diablo came out in the late 90s. 
or maybe, no, early 90s, I think, like 92, 93. So it's been around for a while. I believe it's hit its 30th anniversary, or it will soon. I could be wrong about that. So this is Diablo 4. So this is the fourth main title entry. Um, the first one came out in the mid to late 90s. I, I Honestly, I can't tell you off the top of my head. I was literally watching a video on it the other day, and it just left me. Then Diablo 2 came out in, I believe, 2000, either 2000 or 2001. Diablo 3 came out in 2012, and Diablo 4 has come out technically today. I'm recording this June 6th, 2023, so technically the official full global release for all people is today. So you might be asking, Sai, how the fuck have you been playing it? I didn't get an early review code, don't worry, I'm not that special, I wish. No, I, I bought the uh, Deluxe Edition. Um, saved up for it, worked pretty hard. Uh, got a discount for $10 using some extra points in my Microsoft account. And bought it for my Xbox Series S, the Digital Deluxe Edition, so I could have it four days early and have the Season 1 pass. And I'll explain real quick why I bought that um, one I wanted to play it early. I've been having a hell of a week, so... That's part of it. But no, I didn't drop 20 extra bucks into a game uh, just so I could play it early. I did it so I could have the Season 1 Battle Pass. I wouldn't have gotten it any other way. The Season 1 Premium Pass, I mean. And you might be thinking, well, why the hell would you do that? I'm curious. I don't usually care about cosmetics, and apparently every microtransaction and Season Pass related thing is just going to be purely cosmetic for your character. I don't trust them on that. <laughs> they might hold that to season one, and in that case, I wasted my money, but we'll see. I don't think that. I really think they're going to pull some slick shit, and it's actually going to affect your stats a little bit. Maybe not much, but something. I, I just feel like that, so I figured might as well. I've got a $10 rewards card in my account anyway, so spend 10 extra bucks, get it a few days early, so, and I'm glad I did. I, I really don't mind because I knew, and I talked about this and how much a game costs, reference to Kendrick's song, how much a dollar cost. I knew that for me, the value of this game and the fact that I worked directly for a payment that could cover it at any price I bought it. I worked a little extra that uh, week, Memorial Day, actually. Um, so I was fine either way. I knew that the value of that would pay off in years to come. So, anyway. So Diablo is a top-down isometric action RPG. For those of you who think it's uh, really complex and extremely... It's not. It can be. And that's the, that's the beauty of Diablo. Unlike something like Path of Exile or Pillars of Eternity. If I'm, hopefully I'm not getting those things mixed up. But especially Path of Exile, which looks super fun. I've never played it. Please don't kill me, uh, ARPG fans. I don't want to die. I just want to point out that that game is too complex for newcomers and they know it it's the point it's like once you've gotten through diablos here here's something a little meatier for your for your mind <laughs> it's a free-to-play game too if i'm not mistaken or it's it's cheaper which is awesome um 
and I believe Path of Exile 2 just came out or is in development right now, is about to come out, I could be mistaken, I, I, I was following that and then I fell off the wagon there for a bit, so I'll circle back around. But it's very similar to Diablo, right? You've got this camera that's kind of at a fixed angle, you know, slightly above the characters, but kind of ajar. Anyway, um, and uh, yeah, you're moving your characters through this world. But the main gameplay loop and cycle for those who are new to Diablo, who have never played it, or who don't remember what it's like, it keeps the same core gameplay, and I'll be comparing it to Diablo 3 um, throughout, but it keeps the main format in the sense that they're the main gameplay loop where with your class and character, you are killing hordes of enemies with your skills, attributes, weapons, powers, whatever you acquire. You're hacking and slashing, you know, you've got multiple combat moves at your disposal. And you're picking up loot. And you are just progressing through this open world story, side quests, and such. Right? It's not reinventing the wheel. It's just polishing the wheel so it's a pleasure to fucking drive. And man, oh man, do they do a good job. So for those of you who don't want to listen to what could end up to be a 90 minute to two and a half hour, I cannot guarantee the length of this initial podcast, who, those who don't want to listen that long, that's okay, I understand, I hope you would listen, because I have a lot of insight, a lot of thoughts from the consumer video game player perspective that isn't tainted by media bias or, um, or money, <laughs> or, you know, corporate bias, or I'm still biased. I'm not going to lie. I like Diablo going in. Obviously, if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing this. um, Or it would be a shorter podcast. But I'm not going to, like, just sugarcoat. I've got plenty of cons and worries to talk about with this game. But I'm not going to shit on it and take away from what it's already done and what it can do in the future. So... But here, here's the nuts and bolts for those who are uh, busy or who don't want to stay around too long. I appreciate your time nonetheless. It's a great game. Dollar amount, bang for your buck, it's fucking worth it. If you have never played an action RPG before and you're kind of interested, you may be a little skeptical, you may be worried because it's Blizzard, you may be worried because it's the fourth entry, you might not know what's going on, you may be concerned that it's too complicated or there's too many mechanics... Throw that all, all that caution in the wind and fucking, when you can, look into purchasing it. I get that these games are expensive nowadays. I understand that. Please, by no means, buy a game if you cannot financially afford it, right? You've got to pay the bills. You've got to take care of the necessities of life. I get it, right? But if you've got extra cash or you're interested or you've been saving up or you're on the fence and you have the money... I say hop off that fucking fence and join the party because this game is phenomenal for many reasons. And I think, honest to God, this is the greatest newcomer-friendly Diablo I've played. Now, to be fair, I've only fully played Diablo 3, so I guess that's not a fair comparison. I am not a Diablo franchise veteran. I have dabbled and played a little bit of Diablo 2 at a friend's house, but that's not saying anything. I liked it. I'll tell you that much. I liked it a lot when I was there. But this is when I was younger and I didn't have a PC. And it never occurred to me to actually get it on console. 
Actually, I don't know if it was on console. They've got the remastered on console now. And I might go back, but Diablo 4 has got me in its thralls for now. In its, thr- in its claws? Whatever. So yeah, that's the short of it. It is a phenomenal game. As of right now. <laughs> we will see. But its core foundation, structure, and bones are so fucking solid. It's one of those things, like I know how people are like, it's a, it's a good game, it's solid, but it could go sideways. It would take a lot for this game to fuck itself over. Because everything you would want in a Diablo game is here and then some. But that isn't to say that this game doesn't have issues, right? So, that's, uh, I, I just want to point that out. A few quick things before I really get into the specifics of the game itself, right? This is still kind of an intro. That, the last segment was truly an intro, but this is kind of like a, you know, transitioning into the discussion of the game itself. So I know this, this podcast is going to take a while, but it's going to be worth it. Um, here's a few things I want you to know going forward with this uh, initial thoughts and impressions part one on the game. Of Diablo 4. I have played for about, I've logged about uh, anywhere, I, I haven't actually been counting for like, uh, at least 10 hours, I, I think 15, I think maybe, maybe. I haven't been playing as much as I've wanted to, to be honest with you. A lot of times I turn on my Xbox, I'm about to play it, and then I, I get busy or I get stressed and I work on something when I should be relaxing. Because life is stressful enough, and I've been productive enough this year already, and I'm only halfway through the year. But anyway, nonetheless, um, at least 10 hours. And you know, my golden rule of thumb is three to six hours, I'm, I'm playing it. I'm not fucking opening my mouth on an initial impressions, right? This is not a review of the totality of the game. I am not even in the third act of the game. I am just starting act two. There will be no spoilers to the story in this. Because quite frankly, I don't care to fucking tell you about the story. I want you to experience that on your own. I'll mention the story, right? I know a lot of people will play a video game for that. So I'll mention parts of it, but there's no spoilers. I probably should have mentioned that even sooner than the 17-minute mark in the podcast, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, uh, anywhere between 10 to 15 hours of gameplay so far. Um with the early access, right? I started playing Friday evening. It's now Monday morning. So not too bad for a busy weekend and a busy life. Um, What else? And I want to talk about that. I've been talking about that more. I want to talk about how accessible this game is for people who have a busy schedule and a busy life like myself and like so many others who still enjoy to play video games. So I'll get to that at some point. I, uh, I started as a rogue class, and I'll talk about the classes later, but just for those who are interested, I started as a rogue class, I hit level 25 on that bitch, had a lot of fun, that's a great class, and then I thought, you know what, I, I want to do at least one more class and try it out, get it to level 25 about where my rogue is, see which one I'm having more fun with, run with the one I'm having more fun with, and then come back and play the other one later. Because I love the rogue, I think it's a really cool class, but I realize maybe it's just not for me in my playstyle, at least right now. But it's an incredible class, so I'm not shitting on it because I really do love the rogue. So I switched to the Barbarian last night. <laughs> just last night, I, I, I only played the first opening mission, it was late, I was very tired. 
And I got it to about level 5, and I'm having a blast. And they have fixed the damage models on the Barbarian so much better than the open beta, which I did play, and I think I did a podcast on. Um, this final build has markably better, much better improved. It was a pretty smooth and solid open beta when I played it, and so I thought, yeah, this is pretty great. I'm excited for the full build. It really just made me want to play more, which is great. And I was like, well... I don't know what they could possibly change to improve it. And now that I see it, I'm like, wow, they did it. So anyway, it's a phenomenal game. I highly recommend it. I've had a blast. But let me get into the more specifics and nitty-gritty for those who are interested. Stick around. Okay, and we're back. Had to give myself a little breathing water break. So, uh, Diablo 4, I'm having a blast with it. Let's talk about the pros of the game first. I want to start with the positive, and this is going to probably be the longest segment because I have a lot to talk about. I'll be including the specifics of the gameplay mechanics within this segment, but it's all pros. Um, so here we go. First and foremost, I want to mention the classes that you're uh, that you get at the beginning. Well, actually, actually, let me let me get this part out of the way first. The story. I'm going to keep this real brief. The story is so far so good. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm only in Act 1, so there's a lot more story to unfold. The opening cinematics, when there is a full-blown CGI cinematic, if you are playing this game, watch it. It's worth it. They put a lot of work in this shit. I made a 26-second CGI thing, cinematic short film, on Unreal Engine. Mind you, for the first time ever, I've never touched Unreal Engine Five and I wanted to learn how to use it and you could check out my short on my Instagram TikTok or YouTube my YouTube is Psychic Productions um, and my Instagram Psychic34 it's called Horror Corridor it's really short really fun took me 45 fucking hours to do that 26 second short now mind you that's partially learning time I was learning how to build and make Unreal Engine in the first place so most of that was just the learning curve of, of that process itself right Nonetheless, I'm happy with it. It turned out great for my first CGI short film, in my opinion. But um, I can only imagine how complex it is for the Diablo, Diablo creators at Blizzard. Obviously, they've been doing it for 20 plus years, so they have way more experience under their belt, and it shows. Oh my god. The opening cinematic is about 15 minutes long. I know that's long, but fucking A. You just gotta watch it. It's so well done. It's it's like a movie. It's really good. And Diablo's been known for that over the years. They have really... They have a cinematic department, a wing, that's dedicated to helping ensure the story stays continuous, right? But also building some of the best-looking sounding and just presenting the great greatest CGI segments of films, you know, of the storyline unfolding for when the cinematics come in. They don't want to waste your time, you know. Plenty of games do it. It's absolutely skippable, right, immediately, but I highly recommend you don't skip it. It's so good. It's just worth it. And if you're playing it and you're immersed, you got your headphones on, you're sitting down, you're excited to play the game, just sit through and watch it. It's, it's just so well done. 
So for that, it's really good. The story itself is good. It's interesting. It's not boring. It's not poorly written. It's not, you know, it's not half-assed. And I appreciate that, you know? Um, I don't play video games for stories. I'll be the first to say, which is, I know, sounds weird. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a storyteller myself. I love video games that have great stories. I do, right? I love me a good campaign, a good story, a well-written video game. But I don't go to play video games for that sole purpose. I know most people don't. But some do. And if you do, and if you're interested in Diablo's story and lore and characters and world design, this one is still very good. It knocks it out of the park. But I can't speak more on that for two reasons. One, spoilers. The few things I do know is not worth spoiling for you at all. Also, more importantly, I'm not far enough in the story to, to really tell you how I truly feel about it. It'd be like watching the first 25 minutes of a movie. It's not worth it. <laughs> it I could still spoil something that might be important to you, and it, there's nothing, and there's not enough for me to go off of right now, which is why I call these initial impressions. I don't want to have to play 500 hours of a game before I can make a podcast on it. So, anyway, with out of the way, story is great so far. I'm really enjoying it. Opening CGI and just CGI cinematics cutscenes, when and where you can see them, watch them. I don't think they're always going to be super long, but the intro is, for good reason, is kicking off the fucking game. And man, does it do a good job. It's incredible. It's so good, I sent it to some friends. The, uh, someone got it off YouTube. I'm like, I, I know you guys might not play this game, but watch this shit. <laughs> it's just so well done. Anyway, um, so that's story. That's all I'll pretty much say about the story. Classes. You're given... Oh, geez. Four or five classes? I'm going off memory here. Um, Barbarian, Rogue, Druid, Necromancer. <gasps> Fuck. I think there's one more. Sorcerer. Yeah. I got it. I think that's it. Okay. Here's, here's the basics. I, I don't play all of these classes. I don't know them. I'm not a build expert, uh, but I'll give you the gist of them. Barbarian. Big runt. You know, designed for CQB, getting in the action, staying in the action. High health, high damage rate, a little slower, no ranged attacks, which can be a great disadvantage in the way this game is designed. Right, so every, every class innately has benefits, pros to it, and some cons. The cons aren't so bad you don't want to play them. They're just setbacks. They're just, they make it so if you have a squad of four who are playing together, or five, which I think you could do up to eight players playing together, but I'm not sure. Um, then to have a diverse set of friends who are really into the class, I mean, it can help. It can help with composition of a team, but it's not vital. Every, uh, every class is completely operable as a solo, and that's how I've been playing the game, and I'm having a fucking blast. So it's, it's very well balanced in that regard, at least early game, right? And just so you know, gameplay-wise, impressions, everything I have to say with my personal hands-on experience, and I'll mention, when I, when I, I'll, I'll mention what other reviewers and other people have been saying about the game who have had more time in it later, but from when I'm talking about my personal experience, mind you, this is only up to pretty much the start of the first mission of Act 2, with two classes, but truly only one. And and I had some open beta hands-on gameplay, so that adds to it. So about 
15 to 20 hours, give or take, of gameplay, which isn't a lot for this game. So please take that in mind. That's why this is really early impressions. So, so far, that's going to be the name of the game. So far, it's good for this reason, okay? Anyway, so, so far, what I, and, and for my understanding of how the me mechanics work as well. So yeah, that's what the Barbarian does. Uh, high damage, close quarters, big health, no ranged attacks or nothing of uh, substance. The Rogue, the Assassin type. Focused on more precision. Oh, also AoE, Area of Effect. Um, every class has that ability later down the line, but some specialize in it or some get it sooner. Barbarian almost off the bat has area of effect that is really useful. Um, rogue, more precision, critical strikes, the assassin of the group, right? Faster, more agile, you know, less health, and is probably the most versatile of the class because they have ranged attacks combined with close quarters daggers. So you get daggers or swords or whatever for your close quarters, and then you get a crossbow or bow and arrow for your ranged attacks. So that's cool. That's what I've been playing the most of for the, for the start. Then you've got your Necromancer. They're kind of like a sorcerer, but they're a little cooler because they summon an undead army or minions of some kind to, to use to swarm people. And they have spells and shit like that. I don't know. I don't play the Necromancer, and I don't do much research on these other classes, so this is just very brief from the very little I understand. Druids. Kind of like a shapeshifter, honestly. Like a mix of a barb and a sorcerer. They can be kind of brutish and push through with CQB, but they can also shapeshift into a certain type of animal or power up to gain attributes or skills that you may not have otherwise. I think I remember watching a gameplay thing where with a druid, if you need to get into a tight crawl space or weasel your way through something that m most classes can't get to if you have the abilities and you know how to you can like transform yourself into like a mouse and get through a certain area faster than other people or without requiring the same amount of things to unlock that area or break it or whatever so things like that so druid is pretty cool like a shapeshifter and then you have the sorcerer the classic magic mage type of class with the staff, with all kinds of spells of power, with range in some close quarters, but most most efficiently at range, and supporting its classes, its, its teammates. That's the gist of the comp of everyone. Am I missing anybody? I don't think so. Anyway, so those are the classes. They're all really good in their own way. They're all balanced. And within each class, there are skill points and attributes and paragons. It's very complex. I'm not going to break down all of it for you. This is just initial impressions. This is more for those who are kind of interested or who want to know more about the game. But I will say there's a lot of depth and content to this game as a whole. And the way you get skill points from... You get a skill point every time you level up. You level up at a decent pace. You know, it's not too slow. And then later, once you hit max level, which is, I think, 100, you have Paragon points, which are added skill points and abilities that open up a whole, a whole level of uh, new types of skills and, and special abilities, right? It's mostly end-game content, which is good to have at launch. Um, 
So, but with the skill points, you can completely change within each class the way you run, right? You can have a barbarian that does whirlwind bleed damage effect. You can have a barbarian that does brute blunt damage and, and shoves people out of the way. You can have a rogue that is good at um, shadow stepping and setting traps. You can have a rogue that's good at area of effect and slashing and shooting arrows. So there's a lot of a build diversity and skill point attributes within each class. And the respec cost where you, you know, reset your skill points, you know, and bank them all. So say you're level 25, you'll have 25 skill points. If you want to respec your whole class, it's very cheap. By that point, you can afford it. I did it last night with my rogue. Um, it wasn't a drastic change. I just wanted to re-implement a few things and see if I could stretch my skill tree further. So I respect the whole thing, banked my 25 skill points. It cost two 2,000 gold. And at that point, I had 98,000 gold. So it was no problem. And then I just re-implemented in those attributes immediately. So respecking is easy. You don't need some special consumable material. It doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. You know, so don't be worried. This game wants you to experiment and play and try new builds and change it up all the time. And of course, you don't have to just press it and respect everything. If you want to individually remove a skill point from one thing and reallocate it, you can do that too for cheap, way cheaper. So anyway, so that's really cool. Um... So classes and balance and skill points, that's all a big, big pro. It's very fun to explore and to learn, and you just get it passively by killing enemies and completing missions and getting XP, right? So the general gameplay, that's a huge pro. Um, it is very responsive. Um, you've got all kinds of moves and attributes from your skill points that you can slot in. I'm playing on an Xbox Series S. Um, I played the open beta on PC. I loved it on PC. It looked great. It played really smooth. I didn't buy it for PC, mostly because I travel a lot. And I like having my Series S uh, on the go. And I'd like to play Diablo on the go when and where I please. Uh... And by on the go, I don't mean like in the car. I mean like um, when I'm in a hotel, if I'm there for a while, or when I'm visiting uh, my, uh, my girlfriend or whatever. One downside, and I'll talk about this in the cons later, is it's an always online server type of game. Uh, we'll talk about that later, though. So anyway, um, but the gameplay is phenomenal. Now... I played Diablo 3, and I am new to the Diablo franchise, and I meant to mention this in the intro. I, I bought Diablo 3 at a discount, and I was skeptical, like many people. I was like, I don't know if I like the top-down isometric look. I've never played a game fully that way, and I usually don't like it that much. Um, then again, I never really tried it, but it just never interested me, I should say. I never disliked it, I just never, it never grabbed me, never interested me as much. Um, and I always thought Diablo was too smart and too complicated for me. And it's a very, I mean, hey, listen, this game is deep. The people who are smart and who know how to, uh, use all the mechanics in this game, wow, <laughs> man, 
It, it can be very complicated. But on surface level of pure enjoyment or of getting a lot out of it, it, it doesn't have to be. And I think that's why Diablo stays on top for what it is. First of all, it's the granddaddy of action RPGs, ARPGs, right? It's the granddaddy of isometric top-down ARPGs. It kicked it off. It made it a thing. It popularized the subgenre. And that's amazing because it's a very popular subgenre, right? MMOs, massive multiplayer online games like World of Warcraft and uh, Lost Ark and some other games follow some of the similarities in terms of gameplay design as Diablo. The World of Warcraft's a little different because Diablo came after WoW and they're both made by the same development studio. So there's a lot of similarities, especially in Diablo 3. Diablo 3 in 2012 follows a lot of the art styles of, uh, of WoW. So anyway, Diablo 3 at launch, which I didn't play at launch, but in 2012, 2013, it was marred with controversy. Um, and I'll talk about controversial things with Blizzard and Diablo later, more so, but some of the things it was marred with was it had a, this is fucking nuts, at least in the PC market, it had an in-game live auction house for items, right, and, and things you can get, because this is a loot-based game, through and through, everything is about killing and looting, that's it, that's why, like, when I first played Diablo 3, I'm like, huh, that's what this game is, I thought this game, like, I thought it was, like, strategy, and, like, I had to understand, like, I had to read a fucking book on this, no, you can if you want, and if you get enjoyment out of that, which is cool, but you don't, you don't have to, right, I love games like that, right, I've talked about that, often easy to pick up play and enjoy and learn the base mechanics to get through the game and have fun very difficult to master and complex uh, or master <laughs> complex you know very complex and difficult to just master and be high caliber at the game right to be skilled at it rocket league rainbow six siege uh even wolong yes though it's a little trickier by easy pick up and play, I mean like control schemes are pretty uh, simple. Getting into the game isn't too difficult, you know. Wolong's a little more difficult, but it, it it doesn't take a it doesn't take you to have to know how to play the other games. It doesn't take a fucking book, a guide, and a dictionary to get through. You know that kind of thing. Accessible, easy to pick up and play, difficult to master. I love those kinds of games. Because it's always constant fun and enjoyment and it's very precision and, and honed in on the ability to have fun. But it's not potato brain simple. It's got complexity, it's got depth, it's got things you can really dive into down the line if you get into it. And to reward you with that as you progress naturally. That's what Diablo 3 was. Getting... Just powerful attributes and weapons, that's one thing. And it was great, and it was a great experience because it was focused. It was simplistic in certain ways more than I thought it was. And it was just fun, hack and slash time. You can definitely, while playing Diablo, turn off your brain. Honest to God, you can build a class in a way where you just turn off your brain, and you just hold a button, and you just fucking hack and slash the shit out of everything and pick up the items. You could do that, and it's very satisfying. It's it, the the... Sound design, the graphics, the art style, the colors, the contrast, everything is just so satisfying to do that. 
And the loot is valuable and really makes you feel powerful. Or you could build and spec your character in a way and play in a style where you have to focus. You have to hit critical points. You have to jump here and there. You have to do this for a teammate. You have to navigate and finesse the shit out of the enemies. It allows that range of play. And I really enjoy that. I think that's cool. So Diablo 3 was that for me. I bought it on sale half off, Reaper of Souls edition, which apparently fixed a lot of things. It got rid of this in-game auction house that caused a lot of controversy, though I think they closed that down very quickly. But basically, you know, you could acquire loot, you could buy stuff that way, and then it had an in-game auction house in the built like built in the game where it's like it was completely regulated and fine. It wasn't like a side story you have to download and risk malware. And I don't know if it was available for consoles or just PC. But, and, and basically you pay real money to buy items in Diablo 3. So if I had a legendary sword that I didn't really want, I could put it on sale in the in-game auction house for five bucks. And someone would attach a credit card to that and then I'd earn five dollars. This is like NFTs before NFTs in 2012, folks. That's nuts. Of course, people didn't like that. Eventually it got disabled. SEC came down hard on them, I believe, or FCC, someone. And then all was done with that. And then by the time Reaper Souls came through, it fixed a lot of bugs, balancing issues, some improved the graphics, added way more content, balanced some shit out that was much needed, got rid of the auction house fully and, and all that. So anyway, um, yeah. So I was never playing the game during that phase, but I've, I heard about that. I'm like, that's crazy. So I got... Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls in 2020. I I didn't know what to get. I got a half off. I was kind of skeptical. I'm like, oh, fuck it. You know, it's summer. I got nothing better to do. You know, everything shut down. Let me, let me finally sink my teeth into this game. And I did. And I had a fucking blast. I shit you not, I played that game so much. In the first two weeks, I beat the main campaign and I entered Endgame. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I was learning as I was going. I had so much fucking fun. That made me a Diablo fan through and through. And an ARPG fan. I think I recorded a podcast episode on Diablo 3. And at the time, we knew Diablo 4 was in development. But that was three years ago, and I've been waiting. So Diablo 4 is of great thrill and excitement to me. Because I've only been waiting three years. There are some people have been waiting a decade. And... The improvements that this game has made gameplay-wise alone. I'll say first from Diablo 3's style of gameplay and art design and direction and gameplay graphics or graphics and all that. And fucking credible. This game looks photorealistic. It got rid of the colorful oil painting wash, which was cool. But it got rid of that wow-looking design which didn't fit Diablo. Diablo 1 and 2 which were much darker, grimmer. It's about hell, folks. I mean, you're fighting Lucifer himself, right? <sighs> it's the name of the game. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the thing. Uh, so, so Diablo 4 is back to this grimy, grimy, grim, grimy, depressing, fallen, order-looking time, right? 
dark high fantasy. We're talking from software games, Dark Souls 3, well, all the Dark Souls, right? But Dark Souls 3, Elden Ring, that style. But Diablo format with beautiful lighting and graphics. Folks, I never thought a top-down isometric game such as Diablo could look this fucking good. First of all, they improved the camera angles from Diablo 3. It is not as zoomed out as it used to be. And I want people who have been kind of skeptical. Diablo 3 wasn't bad at all, but it was a little zoomed out. And I don't know. On console, you didn't have much control over that. Um, Diablo 4 is punched in a little more. You could see more. You could see, it's, it's a pretty good base default angle, in my opinion. You could see everything you need to in your surrounding area. And you can see things close by in detail. So it doesn't feel like you're so disconnected from the movement of the game. But you can still get an idea of your surrounding. It's a, it's a really good middle ground. And I can't imagine how hard it was to figure out what that comfort, perfect default start point is. I can't imagine. But they figured it out. So the art style, the graphics, phenomenal. For Diablo 4, it looks so goddamn good. It looks better than a lot of games in general. Right? Obviously, if you zoom in and you get real close to your screen and you don't have the... You know, it doesn't have to be so sharp in the textures and the lighting like a COD does. Right? You're not, your camera isn't fixed so close to objects. So it allows, it, it allow, that distance allows it to lessen the load on graphic fidelity because of that draw distance. But it's still phenomenal in what it does. And it makes it so much better. I mean, honest to God, folks, just pull up a screenshot or go to YouTube and watch one of those videos that compared Diablo 3, which was its last full title entry in 2012. And even do the Reaper Souls expansion where it improved some lighting, graphics, and added some extra elements to it. Compare it to that version in 2016. And compare it to this one. And you'll see the amount of detail, lighting, just graphic fidelity, textures, uh, population of items and, and objects. It's just, this new game just feels much more real. And, and they knocked it out of the park. They really did. It's incredible. Um, and the gameplay loop is all the same and just fine-tuned. It's just as punchy and satisfying as ever before. With the clean UI, great damage models, hordes of enemies, big, small, different, unique, diverse enemy types that are cannon fodder that you'll see. Certain world bosses and specialized bosses that aren't the most unique or complex or challenging compared to some of its counterparty RPGs or other games like it, but... You know, it does the job. It's definitely interesting. It changes up the gameplay loop. The amount of weapons and the skill points that you can use that do change your combat abilities or your maneuverability around the field. Awesome. It's all very punchy and satisfying. Very responsive. Uh, and for the most part, pretty fluid and easy to control in. And it's not throwing up colors. At least not yet. It can get super fucking hectic. And I've seen some clips of Endgame where like these hordes are really coming in full swing. And you're killing hundreds at a time. And it could get way more hectic. But Diablo 3 had so much colors and you know effects going on that 
and when you're and you face so many big hordes from the start that it, it could get really like just a like a like just an overwhelming overstimulation of just visual audio noise, right? And I don't mind that because it was so satisfying to just kill hundreds and feel the satisfying nature of that and see all the loot drop and pick up the gold. Sound effects are crisp and pristine as ever. And what I was worried about in the open beta is when I was going through the world in the open beta, I'm like, this is fun. Getting some clusters here, having good fun here, killing these enemies, right? Everything's playing smoothly. But I thought to myself, I'm like, I hope to God that the enemy formation patterns kick up because I kept telling my buddy who was playing Diablo for, for Diablo for the first time in this open beta, I was like, man, I'm telling you, I hope later, either end game or in the full release, we'll, we'll get bigger hordes, right? Because personally, I really love that in Diablo. I think they do a great job at that. I thought with better graphic fidelity, right, and with better hardware, right, we have better consoles nowadays to boot that we could get away with bigger, better hordes, right? I know everything's more graphically uh, intense, so maybe not, you know, maybe not much bigger than Diablo 3, but I was hoping, you know, at least we could see 30, 40 enemies on screen at a time, if not more, right? And be able to, to take them all down with whatever we have at our ability without frame drop or crashing or issues, right? I haven't, per well, no, to be fair, I've seen that many on screen now. Not often, I'm still in the early game, but man, sometimes you get a cluster of hordes, two or three of them, you run by, you track them all in one place, you could have 50 or 60 enemies staring you down trying to kill you. This game's a little more challenging than Diablo 3, they will kill you faster. <laughs> they will definitely fucking kill you, but that's okay. And it all works. It's so satisfying to play this game. I'm playing on controller. And I know there's some people who are worried this is a primarily dominant PC game. That's how it started. I've played it on PC in the open beta. PC is phenomenal. Mouse and keyboard works just fine. Personally, I like controller more. Less strain on my hand for one. But also, um, I don't like having to just click around every time I want to move somewhere. Um, I get that's the whole point. I, I, I just That's not comfortable for me. You know, so to each their own. Maybe they have more accessibility settings now at full release. That was an open beta. Or maybe I just need to get used to it. I don't mind that. I could definitely get used to it. But just for right now, it's not something I'm willing to do. And I like the controller. Um, it's very good. There are a few things where you're like, yeah, you know, mouse and keyboard would feel better for this situation. But not for the actual gameplay. Not for the combat, at least. All your attributes are hotbar and it's right there. You can see it are button mapped. Uh, appropriately, you could swap them out to each uh, key. I think you can also change your controller button map input to the way you want. I'm not 100% sure. I think, yeah, yeah, I think you can. I did it for one button. Um, so even with the hotbar, you can switch the controller scheme. So say you're on uh, Xbox controller and you want A, or I think that's triangle on PlayStation, to not be your basic, to not be a hotbar option at all, to be your dash button say right you could swap you could swap that out yeah yeah you can because I, I did that for b and lb i made my left bumper my dash button i didn't like b being my dash button i understand it often is in games but it just didn't feel right for this so to each their own so you have a lot of customization and accessibility for that and it's easy you know skill tree you got a little cursor it's not perfect but it's very easy to navigate it's no problem console players are used to this now ever since destiny and 
so on and so forth. So it's no biggie. So there's nothing really lost to playing on a controller, in my personal opinion. Except if you have the nostalgia or you're just more comfortable on keyboard and mouse, I definitely understand that. But it's just as easy to hit that hot bar, just as easy to maneuver and move through the world. There's no great differential um, benefit to being on a keyboard and mouse on PC than to a console. Of course, on a higher-end PC, you'll have better graphic fidelity, sharper textures, probably playing on a monitor so you're closer to your screen, which is good for that reason. I have a monitor back in my apartment, so even when I'm playing on my Xbox, I'm going to be a little closer to my screen. Right now, I'm back home. I'm on a TV. I'm about four and a half feet away from my screen. Everything looks phenomenal. I know once I get a little closer, it won't. I did play the beta on both console and PC. PC looked exponentially better, so much better, that it made me question if I buy it on Xbox, but I thought it still looked fucking great on Xbox, no doubt, and I don't even have the strongest Xbox out there. So it still looked really good. It played flawlessly. And, um, and it's more portable. It's more accessible for what I'll need in the future. And I can better have it be split screen. I think it. I think it's split screen, or I think it's local multiplayer as well. Plug in another controller, have a friend. I'm pretty sure. So anyway, from a pure gameplay design, Diablo Four knocks it out of the park. And in my opinion, and and this is what I've heard from reviewers, it is a perfect blend of Diablo Three's best elements and Diablo Two's best elements. Not perfect. It doesn't take all of their best elements and merges them together but it takes some of the best elements and of course innovates and adds some new things to it i'm not so sure about all that i i I don't know the game franchise that well but i can tell you that it is a massive massive improvement over any diablo i've played well i guess over diablo 3 um from graphics from storytelling from audio design, um, from build diversity. You have so much more you can do now, it feels like. And from progression, combat, responsiveness, UI, and enemies. Oh, and one, one last thing about enemies. This is an important thing in a game like this. When you're fighting hordes and hordes, you're killing thousands. I've killed over 2,000 enemies in my first four days of playing this game. That's insane. (laughs) That's a lot of enemies, right? So this is an important note. You will have your dumb enemies, your cannon fodder. They will still be able to fuck you up if you're not smart or careful. Then you'll have your more elite or specialized enemies that are still commonplace, but they have some extra attribute, right? Maybe they're bigger, they're tankier, they got heavier hits, maybe they can summon things, whatever, right? And then you got your special world bosses and full-on story bosses and such. And it's diverse enough in each region. It's not so repetitive. It's always fun because the combat is so precise and fun and satisfying. And and you can switch up your combat style with your skills, attributes, and weapons. It's a loot-based game. And I forgot to mention that. But the loot is so fucking satisfying. As always, it's almost addictive. You kill enemies. They'll drop kinds of different types of weapons. You'll you know either sell them or salvage them or use them. You can upgrade your weapons, your armor, 
get new rarities, sell them, salvage the pieces of them. All of that's still there in full swing. You have gems, you have amulets, you have necklaces and jewelry that also give added perks and benefits. Um, the gems you can slot into sockets that are on certain pieces as you go later in the game that can add extra attributes. Um, you can add sockets to your favorite pieces. Of course, there's different rarity types. There's common, uh, magic, rare, legendary, and then I think it's called special or specialized, whatever. That one's the highest caliber. That's very, very hard to get. That's like, legendary is the second highest. And if you get legendary, you're good as well. I mean, I think those are the two you're going to try to obtain by the time you hit end game. And it seems like it's a healthy drop amount. A lot of people were saying in open beta we were having a lot of legendary drops, like to the point where legendary wasn't that legendary, right? Because you're getting them all the time. It didn't feel that special. Mind you, they were doing that because you're only playing a very small section of the game for two days. So they wanted people to have experience of what some of the legendary weapons would feel like. I knew that. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. I'm like, you guys really think they, they have this much content and they would just immediately unbalance their game where within the first 10 hours of you playing you'd be getting almost your entire inventory to legendary no <laughs> no they didn't they're, they're just accelerating the the increase of drops um because you only have two days to play it and they want you to have some time with some better weapons so you know what you're getting into later down the line obviously right <laughs> so um, so the drop rate's great. It feels really well-balanced. I've gotten, in my near 20 hours of gameplay, I've gotten one or two legendary items, maybe three. And mind you, like, it's also scaling to your level and generally what act you're in and what area of the world. So there are going to be legendary items that drop that are even better than that one. And then you can upgrade it. So there's so much diversity, so much you can do or not do. You could keep it very streamlined. You just get the better weapon, you fuck all the other ones over, you throw them away, you just keep the best stuff, the best stat boosting stuff, and you mosey on. But there are different stats and extra elements. You might take something that has 5% less overall power because it has a percentage boost in something that you're really trying to... to to uh, implement in your build. That's what's beautiful about it. Nothing is fully antiquated because of its other variants and special traits and unique properties, which is awesome. Um, so that's all well and good. And, and lastly, so the enemy design, there's lots of enemies, there's all kinds, right? Some of them, sometimes they have like little damage modifiers or elemental abilities or more health or less health or, you know, certain world modifiers that happen at different times sometimes there's a special events that pop up in the open world which i'll talk about in a second and a few other things right that's all well and good the coolest thing though is that they are so much smarter the enemies are smarter they will fucking corner you they will outsmart you they will hit you when you don't want to be hit Obviously, some of the just bare CQB mini grunts that are one or two hits away from dying will just rush you. But even then, they'll rush you in a more tactical way. So this game will force you to be a little more mentally stimulated throughout the combat. 
Sure, you could close your eyes and just hold a button and kill them all, depending on your build, but that takes some time to get to, and you really still can't do that. There's a mix of ranged and spells and area of, a, of effect damage and close quarters damage that is being thrown at you at all times. And certain enemies are invulnerable to this or that and all of that good stuff. So there is enemy diversity. And even if there's not a lot so far early on, a lot of different types of enemies, there's still plenty. Um, don't get me wrong. There's still plenty. You're not going to get bored. It's not going to get repetitive. At least for me, it hasn't been. But they spice it up with how they attack. They are smarter AI. And they are... It doesn't make the game... Difficult. This isn't a Dark Souls, Elden Ring. This isn't a hardcore game. You could make it that way. You can only start on two difficulty levels. World, uh, uh, what's it called? Torment 1 and Torment 2. Or tier 1 or Tier 2. Whatever. Um, the, the first one is just a little more... A little less amount of enemies. A little less damage. Less challenge. More designed for those who just want to streamline the story, or get through the story quickly and then get to endgame. You can change the difficulty at any time in the menu. Um, so if you want to ramp it up later, or if you don't like it, don't don't be worried about that. You can also change your wardrobe, your outfit, your look of your character at any time. So nothing's like permanently set in stone. If you select the hardcore mode, don't if you're new to the game. That's permadeath. If your character dies once, Everything they've done and everything they have on them is gone forever. That's for the hardcore, crazy bastards. Kudos to you guys. I could never do that. Um, but it's there for those who are interested. And then obviously in Endgame, this is from what I've heard, what I've read, and what I understand of Diablo, what I've played before and previous uh, with Diablo 3. There's a lot of Endgame content right off the jump. Um, so even when you complete the main story... You will unlock new difficulty levels, new dungeons, new areas, new spots, new side missions, subcategories, and other things to do. So you're done with the main story, but you then most people say you beat the main story to actually start the real game. That's what's famous about Diablo and ARPGs in general. The real game starts in the end game cycle, where you're getting loot, progressing through stages, getting paragon levels. And becoming the most powerful character you could possibly be. And the enemies are scaling to that difficulty or keeping up with you or whooping your fucking ass. And that's where the fun really ramps up and it gets crazy. And you do have to be on top of it. And you could streamline and speed through that. You don't have to explore. You don't have to find these items. And to an extent, some of these items and the things you find and some of the exploration can feel pointless. So, open world. This is the first time Diablo has gone open world. And it's a really good open world design. It's a huge map. Like, when I saw the section of beta that we played, that was very big. I didn't even complete all of that area in two and a half days of pretty consistent playing. And then I saw how big the actual full-blown map is. I'm like, holy fuck. And that doesn't... I mean, th that's just the surface level. That's not counting all the dungeons and interwoven things and portals to some other areas. There is a shit ton of content if you really want to sink your teeth into it. A lot that you can get to and do. And it's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to know how much I'm able to 
play just from the jump, just from the starting entry price of $70 or 80 or 90 or whatever you pay for. I paid 90, but I got it off $10. So I paid 80. I paid $80 and just the starting content alone. Uh, if I play all of that, that, that would make its money back hand over fist in value for me to each their own. Maybe you just want to get through the story, do a little end game, and that's it. That's fine. That's still 20, 30 hours maybe of good gameplay. That's perfectly understandable. But those who really want to enjoy Diablo, it's not a game you're going to... You may not play it every day for the next five years, but it, it'll have enough content for the next five years. Right now. That's not counting live service, which we'll get into later. Um, but the open world design. I want to talk about that real quick because that's always a controversial move. Um, everyone does it. Elden Ring did it. It was scary because FromSoft has never really fully done it that way. And they did it perfectly. They've done it so well, I never want to play an open world game that isn't like Elden Ring. And or for that matter, Breath of the Wild. Um, which I didn't play a lot of. I played a little bit at friends' places. Um, I, I have nothing against uh, the Zelda franchise. I just, uh, I, I just never played it that much. Um, but I, I know the philosophy of Breath of the Wild, and I really appreciate how they, how they took on the open world in 2017, and how they kind of changed the landscape of how other devs look at that. And From Software was paying attention closely and did it in their own way. And in my opinion, that's the best open world design I've ever seen. Is Diablo at that level? No. Is it a bad open world? Absolutely not. From what I can tell so far, it's a really, really well-designed open world. It works for this. And in fact, in a lot of ways, it does take elements of Elden Ring into consideration. It's different since it's top-down isometric ARPG, right? But, you know, the whole philosophy of where you go is where you can go. You know, where, what you see is where you can go for the most part. There are more limitations in... Diablo because it's not an exploration game in that sense, but there's still a lot of exploration. And mind you, Diablo 3 had large sections where you could just explore, so it was very section-based, but this game is massively open world. Everything's interconnected, right? You may need keys or gates or a certain, you know, might need to complete a certain storyline to unlock more portions of the world, right? But it's very satisfying because this game has so much loot. This is a combat loot-based game. That's the loop of the game is combat and loot. That's it. You, you kill enemies, you get loot, you power up, you kill more enemies. And it sounds repetitive, but it's so well done, so perfected in its gameplay mechanics, world building, and atmosphere. And so what the open world allows you to do is to explore at your own pace. There are the main campaign missions but you can tackle any of them at any pace you want. There are three or four at any given time that are available to you, and you can go out of order. You can start with Act 2. You do not have to go in order. I recommend you go in order. It makes it easier um, to just follow along, but you don't have to. You, you, you can start, you know. So there's three or four missions at a time, and it doesn't make it more confusing with the story base. It just So you, you could tackle each segment at a time before a cinematic hits. That's kind of the thing. You still have to go around and c cover all of them. You can't just do that one and then bypass these other main missions. If you're trying, if you're trying to progress the story, which you should, because that's when you really unlock end game and get better stuff. And it's just a very simple guiding principle, and it's a good story to follow along with. But the the I was scared because I thought, okay, maybe we're gonna lose a lot of 
focus in terms of enemies and dungeons and all of that. No, no. The focus is still there and it's actually really fun. I like to know, like I love setting my own objectives, doing what I want and then going and doing it. So I'm like, oh, I really want to get this type of item or this type of codex power-up, which is a whole other thing I'm not even going to talk about, but there's so many other extra power-ups, items, things you can look for in the world that will benefit your playthrough. Um, so I want to find this area, so i got to progress through this storyline. Once I unlock this section, then I can pin that on the map and just travel. And I'll see uh, random events. I'll see a dungeon I want to explore. I'll see a, a chest that I want to raid. Or, you know, open up and see what's inside. And I'll see some enemies I want to take out and practice my new attributes on. And that's all in the in the general trekking progress to the uh, objective. And it's really easy to just open up your map, pin a location, and then just walk there. Right now, you get mounts later, right? You get horses to travel much faster and further later. Um, when you find uh, villages and waypoints... Um, you, you unlock that village, you get the blacksmith, you get the jeweler, you get all the stuff where you can sell and stash your items and, and have a, a safe zone where nothing can attack you. And, um, and it unlocks a fast travel point. So you don't have to take everything on foot. Later, you will unlock horses for one. And then also later on, and then also as you progress, when you unlock waypoints, you can fast travel. Uh, and it's really seamless. And in fact, you could be in the middle of a dungeon Fast travel back to your hometown to empty your inventory to change something or whatever. And then walk right back in that portal and end up right where you left off. You don't have to walk all the way backtrack out, out of the dungeon and then walk all the way back to it manually. Obviously, if you leave your dungeon, go back to your hometown, then walk out of your hometown boundaries, out of the village waypoint boundaries, then that portal closes. So if you're, but if you're just quickly dumping loot or repairing weapons, which there is weapon damage, like durability weapons, everything can be repaired. You get plenty of gold. You can afford everything very quickly. So don't stress it. Every time you die, you lose 10% durability. So if you die 10 times, your weapons are shit. It's hard to die 10 times in a row. And usually by the second or third time, you'll go back and repair them anyway. And that'll bring up the efficiency of damage. So anyway, overall, those are the pros, right? There's so much, but the gameplay, the story, the classes, the world-building atmosphere. Um, oh, optimization is incredible. Everything's fluid. There's some bugs, but it's really not that bad. I haven't even had server issues. Then again, the game just officially opened up yesterday to the public for everybody who has a copy. So we're going to get to see some server strains, but that happens. It's growing pains because it's a live service, always online game, and that's a con I'll talk about in a minute. Um... Graphics and design are out of this world. It is a massive improvement from Diablo 3. It is fully cross-play and cross-progression. That's something I failed to mention. Fully. If you have it on PlayStation, you can play it. Uh, I think it's only for next-gen consoles, but... Anyway, if you have Xbox Series X, Series S, PlayStation 5, or PC, and you have this game, you could play it with your friends. No problem. It's fully cross-play, cross-progression. That's always a win in my book. That's a step in the right direction. World design is incredible. The art design, the ease of access, the camera angle is great. Um, also, you can do some settings. So if certain objects like obscure your vision from looking down at your character, your character outline will still pierce through, so there's no problem there. The amount of content that is at this game at launch and how well-polished and 
this feels like a full game. We we get fucked over so many times when we think we have a triple A game and it, it it's lacking. It's like, oh, we'll add all the content you're expecting in season one and two. You know, all that roadmap shit, that is not a problem in this, at least not right now. Everything's here, everything's polished. This game is really fun and there's a lot to get into with it. So I definitely love what it's doing. Avoiding the live service negative feedback loops, having so much content at the start, and then covering all these other pros I've been talking about. It is truly phenomenal. So let me get into... That was probably the longest segment. Let me get into some cons and some future uh, things... So yeah, stick around. Here we go. Alrighty, folks. So I know that was a long, long-winded segment, but that's the pros, and there's a lot of them. Um, that should be the longest segment, I think. Okay. But, you know, like I said, this is going to be a longer podcast. I have a lot to talk about, but the, this game is de- uh, dense. And, of course, in the future, as I play more, as I progress, as I learn more, I will continue this as a live series of Diablo uh, Thoughts. So anyway, here are the cons of the game. I've been talking about the pros, and the pros vastly outweigh the cons, which is why this segment's going to be a little shorter. So I talked about the open world and how great that is, and it is great, right? And the gameplay is amazing, the loot drops are great, but here is a persistent issue that, that doesn't take away the quality of any of that, right? But it, it puts a damper on the feeling, it's something I've heard reviewers talk about, and, and I'm noticing it a little bit, but I, I want to point out and say it's not as bad as they're saying, in my opinion. Now, I'm early game, so maybe it gets worse later on, but it really isn't too big of an issue, but it's definitely something where I can see if it's not properly managed, that it could become uh, less enjoyable. But I think there are some solutions to that, and I want to offer them here. But first and foremost, here's the issue. In an open world, when you're playing an open world game, here's the trick of the game, right, that the devs usually try to figure out. It's, well, we could do it where, like, if it's section or level based, it's a completely different uh, philosophy. But if it's open world, the thought is, well, if we have loot or we have a certain area you can't unlock until you do this later down the road, we want you to feel like you can come back and, um, you know, and, and clear through that area and get that item. But we don't want that area to be boring or we don't want that area to feel like it's so easy to clear through and it's so like 100 hours ago late that you don't even want to go back there, right? We feel that feeling when we play video games. You get this far in a level or in a game and you're like, I don't want to go back to level one to unlock something. Even if I kind of want that item, I don't want it that bad, right? So they don't want that feeling. And they don't want that feeling throughout the game in, in general. They want every enemy to still feel equal to your skill. They don't want you to be able to just go back to a level, to the starting area of the game, and just wipe the fucking floor because you're 500 levels higher or whatever, right? Because your damage is so goddamn powerful if you fart, you disintegrate an, a skeleton. You know what I mean? And, and hey, by the way, some people, when they fart, they probably do break down the enamel on people's bones. Anyway, so uh, so here's the problem with that, though. It makes it so even when you level up or you get a, a new skill or, or a new item, a new weapon, which, once again, is the loot. That's the whole crux of the game. Good gameplay, fun killing, but also better loot to improve your fun killing. That's the entire cycle. And it's so well done and so perfected in Diablo. It's so perfectly done. And 
It's fine-tuned. It's engineered to manipulate people, folks. It's really well done, right? With the sound design, the graphics, the looks, the stats, the, the feeling, the effects, everything. It's designed to keep you in an induced trance so you want to keep playing. It's kind of like a slot machine, except you're not spending real money except for what you paid for the game. You're just playing the game. It keeps you hooked. And people know that's the point of the game, and we have fun playing it for that reason. Right? There's plenty of other games that have that system. Borderlands, for example, is a strong one. Borderlands 3 ran into this issue. It wasn't open world, I don't think. But the issue was, it was open level, but the issue Borderlands 3 ran into is oversaturation of loot. They had a billion fucking guns in that game. I shit you not, an actual billion guns. And they were all procedurally generated parts and attributes. It was really cool. And to be fair, each gun was really incredible. But after, like, like you only need a thousand or two thousand in that game. Like, no one's collecting that many weapons. No one's going to play that game that much. And it's not because the gameplay isn't fun. The gameplay was a massive improvement in Borderlands 3. Problem was, everything else fucking sucked compared to Borderlands 2. The, the level design was okay, but the enemy var variants, also okay, not great. But the story and acting and characters and world building were horrible. And Borderlands 1 and 2 excel at that. It is a hilarious, rich fun story it's very strong in that and in its world building and atmosphere and audio logs and it fell apart in Borderlands 3 I'm looking at I just found it I'm walking around and I just found my Borderlands Handsome Jack collection it's for Xbox One disc so I mean I still have my old Xbox but I wish you can convert Xbox discs I wish if you bought it on Xbox Disc, you could say, hey, I want to convert this. I want to, I want to refund this for the digital license version. Well, for a copy of the... Di I, I don't know. That'd be kind of cool. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. Um, so, so, so that problem uh, came into fruition with Borderlands. It was overwhelming. I don't think Diablo has that problem, at least not that I know of with Diablo 4. But what I do think the problem with this dynamic world scaling is, is the feeling of power is a little muffled. Now, to be fair, you still will feel more powerful. I don't quite understand when the reviewers and content creators are like, that feeling is gone. I'm like, no the fuck it ain't. <laughs> um, I'll be the first to say it's not gone. It's just not as strong as Diablo 3. But Diablo 3 was unbalanced, people. And it was an open world, so it didn't matter. Um, I got a weapon, and I still have it today on Diablo 3. I got this legendary sword. Which, for one, does so much fucking damage that literally nothing can, can like, damage me. I beat the game, right? And got through, like, torment level fucking six or seven. I haven't done everything in that game. I, I had other games in life, but... Um, but I got really far, and I just got this one sword later in the game, in the end game cycle, and it kept me through the bulk of the end game where shit got really difficult. And part of the attribute is like, I think it was like 25% of the time, or no, 50% of the time, when you land a critical hit, it will summon a big ass 10 foot large demon that is chained with a certain radius to just go stomp and mash, Hulk smash the fuck out of things for like two minutes. Oh my god, so not only is the sword doing a shit ton of damage, like thousands of damage points per swing, and causing fire around it, setting shit on fire, 
with an area of effect damage and critical and slashing damage, but it's also summoning a big-ass demon. And those those who play Diablo 3 may know the name of that sword. I'm not familiar with it, but I don't remember the name of it. But man, that sword's fucking dope. And I upgraded it to the max. It's powerful. Um, There's probably shit like that in Diablo 4, for sure. I'm excited to get to that point, because I know there will be. Here's the thing, though. It's not going to be that fucking broken. Folks, That that's too powerful. That made everything easy. It made everything one to two hits. Mind you, I, that's so far into the game, right, that, like, it's, it's okay. I really don't care. I've killed enough demons and had enough challenge beforehand. That's kind of the reward, right? But the power scaling, the, the power fantasy dynamic, right? Doom does a good job with this. Doom, uh, one of my favorite first-person shooter franchises, um, you know, Doom's legendary for kicking off FPS games in general and popularizing them. Wolfenstein and then Doom. Um, and the new Doom franchise of Doom 2016 and then more importantly, Doom Eternal, which is holy fuck, that came out in 2020 as well, blew everything out of the water that we've known of Doom before then. That game is a power fantasy dynamic. You are so much more powerful than most of the enemies you fight. However, they can still fucking whoop your ass. That game is not easy. There's platforming. It is extremely fast-paced. You have all these powerful weapons and upgrades, and you are the most powerful one-man army there. But you're still fighting an army, and they could still whoop your ass if you're not careful. It was a perfect dynamic. It was a really good balance. It wasn't open world, it was open level, right? Large, vast levels, but sectioned off. And you could go back and explore them. Um, but the thing is, uh, the, but that worked for that. So Diablo has this thing where, uh, and Elden Ring's another good example where they did this balancing right. I know I'm going way too in-depth with this, but I think this is actually the most important con I have on the list, which is why I'm kicking it off. It's the biggest gameplay crux con issue that will be a prevalent and persistent thing to figure out down the line because it affects the entire feeling of Diablo. Diablo is known for, right, kill great combat, great loot. You get more powerful. You feel way more powerful. You get to a new area. You're facing enemies more in line with you and are a little more powerful and then bosses that are more powerful, right? So you're still scaling up. But if you go back to an old level to find that item or to farm that or to do that side mission, you whoop everyone's ass so you feel more powerful. And in that immediate power-up level up, if you level up one, if you get a new attribute, if you find a new weapon, immediately the enemies you're fighting can feel easier because you just got something that's exponentially more powerful than you were working with three seconds ago. That feeling is incredible. And Diablo has fine-tuned and mastered that, and that is a staple of the gameplay loop. So when there is a new element for the first time ever in a 30-year franchise that has changed that dynamic feeling a little bit, enough to make it be known in every review I've ever seen and a little bit from my own gameplay experience, it's a prevalent issue. But I don't find it to be the most damning thing ever. It's not as severe as people are saying, in my opinion. Yes, they scale up with you. So if you're level 20, or say you're level 5 in the start, and you go back to that area, those enemies do not stay at level 5. They are the level you're at. Say you're level 25. 
and they stay within a range, 23 to 26. You know, so you still have some that are a little weaker and some that are a little stronger. So here's what I would say to remedy that. Bump that general range to five levels. So you have a level anywhere, somewhere between five or six. Have it six, split down the middle. So if you're level 25, there could be level up to level 28 in that area, and there could be down to level uh, 22. So anywhere in that range is of six levels, which is funny, right? 666, you know, the whole demon, Lucifer, Diablo. This game is releasing June 6th. I mean, it, it fits, right? And um, it's a perfect middle ground. So at any point, you could be fighting an enemy that is at your level or two to three levels higher and or at your level or two to three levels below you. Because even three, an enemy three levels below you could still put up a fight and fuck you up a little bit, but you'd have that power dynamic, that fantasy. So if you mix it up with that, then it's better. But I get it. If you're in an open world and this world is designed for you to go back to, explore this dungeon, unlock this chest, get this special item or codex power that's hidden in this area that you wouldn't have known about without getting this far in the story to begin with, so you're already naturally more powerful, it wouldn't be fun going back to an area and fighting enemies that kind of generate procedurally, I think, um, and just one-tapping them. It's fun for a second. I, I don't doubt that. So that's why I'm saying if they have a, a little more drastic of a sliding scale within that area, so you're still, you got a good mixture of enemies who are weaker than you, so you still have that power dynamic, but can still put up a fight that aren't just one tap, but are significantly weaker, and then a few that are stronger, so you can still get put back on your ass, so not everything's a breeze. They kind of have that, but that's, it's only a two to three level difference, so it's not drastic. So if you're level 25, you might, you might have an enemy that's level 23 or 24, and you might have an enemy that's level 26 to 27. Maybe, but usually, usually it's one to two levels difference from what I've seen so far. So I understand why that's frustrating because when you level up, you should feel a little more powerful, but you should still be challenged. So not everything is turn off your brain and, and it's easy mode. We don't want easy mode, but we don't want, we don't want to, we don't want to dampen the feeling of success and of progress and power. So it's a fine line. And when it's an open world where they want you to go back to areas, they don't want to make those areas enemies, the main combat, the main mechanic of the game, antiquated. I understand that. So to me, have a six power level difference, six level whatever, in each area, when you go back in each zone, when you're fighting hordes, have that scale. And I guarantee you they will. They are smarter than I am. They have already made this game. There's no fucking way I'm the only person that has thought of this, right? So it could be within season one launch, they could balance that. That's an ongoing thing that they'll be balancing. So that's the biggest issue because that can dampen the feeling of power, but it's really not that big because I swear to God, last night I was playing as a rogue. I got a few new weapons, leveled up once. I was in an area that had enemies that were either my level or one level higher. I equipped those weapons. I added that skill attribute, and I literally not only saw the damage number go up by five or six damage, but I felt it. They died so much faster, so I still felt the power. It just wasn't as drastic. It wasn't a broken OP loop, so we'll see. Uh, that's the biggest con.
uh, dynamic level scaling. Here's a few other ones. Inventory management. Um, it's fine. It's not broken. Everything works, by the way. The UI, the frame rate, the graphics. Servers are going to be strained more. Servers were fine for early access, right? But that was early access. Once the game fully opens up, we're going to have some server issues for the first few weeks. That's okay. That's expected. It's not fun because this game is an always online live service game. That pisses me off to no end, folks. Man. I'll get to that in a second. But anyway, um, so everything runs fine. But the inventory, its UI is fine. And it, it works fine. It's not broken. It's just a little uh, short. It's, a, it, it, it's not easy to manage things. Like, you can mark things junk. You can go back to the blacksmith. You can salvage them. But your inventory fills up quickly. You've got plenty of slots. It's not like you're always going to be empty. But you feel this need once you go through, and I assume once you get higher level, when you're clearing a bunch of enemies and they're dropping loot at random, and you're going to want to pick it all up because you never know what loot they're dropping. You can maybe get an idea from some of the shimmering color schemes, but you don't really know, so you want to pick it up. You can immediately drop it or mark it as junk, but you can't salvage it or sell it right there on the spot, right? You do have to go back in town. Luckily, the fast-traveling portal allows you to just open up a portal, quickly travel back to town, sell it, walk back through the portal, and you're right where you were. But that takes away from the momentum... I mean, thank God they have the fast-traveling portal mechanic right there, right back. And so within two minutes, you can do it. But it still breaks the momentum. But if they didn't have that and you had to walk all the way back to town, this game would be unplayable. If that's the thing. Everything is really well-balanced, but it's on a tight rope. If it fucks up in one area, that makes the game so much less enjoyable. And the game is very enjoyable right now. So we have to be careful with what they choose to update and how they update it, right? Here's what I would say. This is the simplest fix. The fucking gems. Okay, so you start picking up gems at like, I don't know, level 10, level 15. You start picking up some gems. They're awesome. Gems give you extra attribute percentage points that can make a difference, and you can slot them into socketed things. It's another upgrade tool. They're perfectly cool. I ain't got a problem with the gems themselves. They take up one whole inventory slot. These little fucking gems. So, and they don't stack. Okay, they stack, but they only stack to their type of gem. So if you get a, 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 the red crimson gem or whatever it's called, or the, the diamond, if you get a diamond, well, okay, it takes up one slot. And I think if you get another diamond, it, it stacks and you have two in that same slot. So thank God for that. But there's seven types of gems. And at any point, you could just be collecting all of them. And trust me, you don't want to not collect them because you can go to a jeweler and you can upgrade them to a higher quality with a certain amount of the same type. Or you can destroy them. And or socket them and use them to boost the stats of your weapons. So you want them just like you want anything that can improve your stats in this game. That's the name of the game, getting better loot, right? And gems are part of that. So we don't want to negate them and not pick them up, but for fuck's sake, I think we have 30 slots in our inventory, maybe a little less. So, if you have seven types of gems and you pick them up, that's seven types of slots filled. That's almost one-fourth of your entire inventory taken up just by gems. And 
And I don't, I'm not 100% sure if they stack. I think they do if they're the same type. But nothing else stacks. If you have a bunch of swords, they don't stack on each other. So everything else takes up a whole slot. Every piece you pick up takes up a slot. And trust me, there's a lot of loot. And it's open world. You want to just keep going. You want to keep the momentum. You don't want to have to go back in town all the fucking time. So here's what I propose. It's a very simple fix. Add a gym inventory side slot. Have it be 10 slots. And don't let them stack if you don't want. Or have it be 7 and let them stack. Um, and maybe the stack can only allow up to 5 at a time. That way you keep your inventory free so you can collect armor and any kind of weapon and special things you want. There are different in, there are other tabs for things like quests. Like quest things, it will not invade your full inventory, which is awesome, right? It's not a big deal. We also you also have a stash at the main home base. Right? The main hometown, you have a stash that has like 50 slots or something like that. So you, you can put anything you want there. And what's awesome about that stash is you can you will pick up weapons that don't apply to your class, that are restricted for another class. But if you plan on playing a different class down the road, you could put that weapon in that stash. And then when you're playing with that class, sure enough, you have that weapon. Or if you just want to save that weapon and you don't want to carry it on you. So everything's manageable. There are things in place where you can manage it. It's not unmanageable, but it's a pain in the fucking ass. And it just takes away a little bit of the fun. Because I like collecting the jewels, but I don't want to have to go back to town all the time. It's not a huge problem, but I can see it growing to become more of a headache. It's not a game-breaking issue. None of this shit is, to be honest. It's just nitpicking. So let's have a separate tab for gems. There's no reason not to. Even if we can't hold a lot of them, have it where we can hold enough so we can still gain a profit and we don't lose full actual item inventory space that we want. It doesn't change the fact that we won't go back into town to upgrade, to salvage, to sell stuff, to equip things, right? To stash stuff. It won't change that. It'll just reduce the frequency in between missions so we can do two or three story missions in a row without feeling the need to do that all the time. Also... I understand, like, the upgrading component that we could do that. Um, that we have to go to a blacksmith for that. Upgrading and adding attributes and all that. I'm fine with that. I don't... I think it'd be okay if we allowed salvage while we're there. And I understand the selling. You'd have to go to a merchant to do that. So if you want gold, great. I think it would be so much better if you could just salvage it right from your inventory. No one's worried about realism here. No one's going to be like, well, you're not a blacksmith. You can't do that. Who the fuck cares? I, I, I can swing a hammer around me 360 like I'm fucking Thor. What makes you think I couldn't break a fucking piece of armor and take the remains of that? Come on. Why can't... That would be... That would also remedy the, the gem issue, to be honest with you. So you wouldn't need an extra gem slot. But if you had both, that'd make everything so much more manageable in the inventory management side of things. I wish we could salvage things just from our inventory. Because if I pick up some common gear that I don't want, I'll salvage it right there. Otherwise, I'm dropping it. I'm not carrying and wasting an entire slot on a common or rare or magic thing now because I want to have as much room to pick up legendary or better stuff. And of course, I mean, when you get there, you can always just drop it on the floor or mark it. It's enough room where you've got plenty of space to operate. It's not like you're always having to go back to town. And I don't want to be painting that picture for you. You could do two whole fucking long-ass story missions in a few dungeons without ever having to go back to town. 
Unless you die a lot and you want to repair your weapons, and that's different. Or you want to socket or fix some jewelry stuff or whatever, you know, do some other stuff, sure. But, so it's not like it's constant, but it would be nice because this is an open world and I really like the idea we go on your own or with friends and you're on your own. Thank God, like I said, you could just, you hit one button, it takes two seconds, it opens up a portal, you go straight back to the hometown, you just walk right through it, there's no loading screens, you're right there. You can go do all that stuff and then you go and t walk right back through the portal and you're right where you came from. No loading screens. So you could just empty your shit out two seconds flat. Or I'm sorry, two minutes flat. It really doesn't take that much time. Right? So it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to walk all the way back. You don't have to go through a long-ass load screen. None of that shit. You don't have to risk jeopardizing the save of your mission or risk where you were. None of that. So thank God that's there. And that's probably why they're okay with being a little more stingy on the inventory management. But we could have both. It would just make it a little more fluid and fun. Because it still breaks up the momentum to go back in town. And it's not a big problem, but I'd rather just keep the momentum going. You know? So that's the other thing um, that's a little annoying. There's damn gems in the inventory management. Uh, real quick, camera zoom sucks. At least on console. On mouse and keyboard, it wasn't so bad in open beta. You use your scroll to kind of zoom in. So you can kind of zoom in a little more and zoom out a little more, but it's not enough. And to be fair, the default fixed camera angle is perfectly fine. And on console, when you do the d zoom in, you it's only when you toggle a camera zoom, it's not even button mapped anything. It Essentially, it doesn't want you to be able to do that easily. When you do it, it sucks. So unless you have really bad vision, or you have a small TV and you're far away from your TV, don't enable it. Okay, here are the two last bigger cons, and this will feed into the live service discussion and, and the future updates and that discussion in the next segment altogether. But here are, some, here are two huge cons. Always online servers. I hate them. I don't like that. When a game does that, that takes the accessibility of the game away from so many people who want to play it. There are people in the country and in the world who do not have a secure or fast or stable internet connection. It's getting better every year, so it's more manageable. It's not as bad as it used to be, but still, that's unfair to them. These always online things. Also, if there is a server issue, if there is a DDoS server attack, if the server is overloaded, you can't play the fucking game you've paid for. I hate that. I understand we're in an always online world. It allows them to track the data, the statistics that they want to advertise. It allows them to track and report bug fixes. And it allows the game devs to implement fixes and changes instantly. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with having huge servers and having always online capability. But I don't like when it's forced, when there's absolutely no option to play the game offline if you have to. I've moved around a lot in my life and when you're moving, guess what? There are times where you have electricity and you have a downtime where you can play video games but you don't have internet because your internet service you stop paying for while you're in transition to a new place or it hasn't been set up when you're in a new place. So you're going to want to play offline games if you want to play video games. I'm in the middle of a move right now and or I'm also traveling a lot. 
Luckily, where I'm going, most places will have stable internet, thank God, because I want to be playing this game throughout the summer. So I'm fortunate, but that's not going to always be the case, and if it's not stable internet or if the servers have issues, I can't play this new game I paid money for and love playing. That's a shame. Elden Ring did it right. You have online capabilities and features, and you can always be online, and what that allows is automatic backup cloud save instantly. That allows, so you don't have to manually save if you don't want to, that allows, um, you know, PvP and PvE and all that. And some, and allows you to see everybody's, like, ghost outline doing shit. And the bloodstain, all that. But you can go offline. You just have to manually save every time when you're done. And you can make the same progress. It's just saving to your hard drive directly. And it's not automatically also backing up to cloud. It will still save your hard drive or SSD. But it doesn't have an automatic backup copy to the cloud. So if you have stable internet and you're good with that, that's fine. Be connected all you want. Might as well have that blanketed security and, and bonus features, right? And same with Diablo. Might as well, right? You want to play with friends, you want to have the backup cloud save, you want to have the cross progression, instantaneous, all that, great. But don't make it required to always be online. That's ridiculous. I fucking hate that. If you lose internet for the day, if they have server issues, it's a huge game. This is a game you can play alone. Why not let us just play alone and have manual saves and then boot it and re once the servers are back on or if we want to connect to online, then it resyncs to the cloud with our account data and we're good. You could, they can do that. They've done that for games. And here's the benefit. If they get enough backlash, if they find out it's beneficial to keep an offline mode going and, and you know, have the pop-up say you won't have all these features. You won't access the in-game shop. That's why they really want it. You won't be able to access all the events, other players, the live, the live service features. If you play offline, you can only do the story, the preset missions, and the progress. But it's like there's so much in that already. You're fine. So have that be a feature. Have the warning pop up. And then when you connect back online, give it a minute to synchronize, to upload and update all the progress, and you're good and you're back online. Give us both options. I'd love to be able to play this game completely offline if and when I need to. Because if I have unstable internet connection when I'm traveling, I want to play this game. And I bet a lot of people do. And people who, have, who live in circumstances with less, uh, less than ideal internet, then they should be able to play without any hinge, uh, hitches. And also with the whole server stuff. That would also remedy that. That way, if the servers are down, guess what? You could still play and progress. You just don't get all those cool updates, features, and some of that extra stuff. And once those servers are back on, those will all be connected. And you can't play with your friends, which would also fucking suck. So it'd still suck to have servers down, but it means you, it doesn't mean you can't play the game. And this is a game where you could completely play by yourself that's PvE-oriented, you know? So that's why it's so baffling. It's not a multiplayer game. Like, obviously, Rainbow needs to be online at all times. I mean, I guess you got your AI bot terrorist hunt mode and whatnot, practice range, which you could do those offline if you're disconnected from the servers, by the way. They allow that. So that's my point. You can't open Diablo 4 if you're not online. That's the problem. A lot of games have a system where you get all the benefits and features of online, so you obviously want to be connected, but if you're not by chance, you can still play the fucking game you paid for. That's a huge deal to me. And it shows either Activision or Blizzard's callousness towards the consumer market in that regard. 
But to be fair, they've done so many things right, it's hard to knock them for that. Though that's a big one and it could cause issues down the line. However, it's completely fixable. That's something that could be changed in a patch. Easily. Plenty of games have done it before. They add an offline feature mode. So, trust me, Blizzard and Activision, they will add that if they, if they know a lot of people want that or if they can, or if they see how many people have bought the game versus how many concurrent players, or how many people are consistently playing throughout the month. That will also inform them if they need to add an offline mode because people will buy this game and maybe not realize. Or they'll buy it thinking they have good internet and then something happens and they don't. And the way this game makes continuous money is a live service model. People need to be online. But more importantly, people need to at least be playing the game. So hopefully that'll be remedied down the line. I feel like that's definitely something that could be fixed or added, but it might be a year or so. It's not the end of the world. There's plenty of games that require all online service capabilities. So far, I mean, luckily it is Activision Blizzard. We're not talking some rinky-dink servers. These things can handle a fuck ton. Mind you, these are the, it's the same server load that takes on Call of Duty. So it's some of the best integrated servers in the world. So at least the server architecture is very strong, right? Because it's using the same server, server clientele and, and, and connection through Battle.net for Overwatch, World of Warcraft, the other Diablo games, Call of Duty, um, Hearthstone, Candy Crush. And so many others. So it's very strong. It's just one of those things where it's not always going to be. And it sucks that you also have to have good internet connection. You don't have to have good internet connection. Honestly, you could get by. It's not going to lag you out too much. So that's good. It's very low latency, low requirements of internet. You don't need to have high, high internet quality because you're not playing PvP constantly. Um... But you need to be online and connected. So anyway, that's the downside. And then lastly, it is life service. And I know that sends chills down everyone's spine. I do want to report that the live service as of right now isn't necessarily an inherently negative thing for what we know. We'll see once season one drops and we'll see in the future. But live service for this instance means it's going to get continued support, expansion, not just bug fixes and tweaks and balances, which it'll always have, but it's going to get full content releases that will come in seasons. And so far, the microtransactions, which I'm against, I'm against it in this instance. This is a huge company. They've got plenty of money, and this is a full-price game. They're making fucking tons of money, you know? But I can't knock it too much because it's purely cosmetic, right? So I can't be too bothered. It's not affecting the gameplay balance or the progress. It's not like Diablo Mortal in that controversy. Right? Diablo Mortal was their mobile game that launched last year. It was marred with all kinds of controversy. People said it played well and it was really fun. But it was pay to win progress. And Diablo, the entire point, right? Combat and loot. And so when you can just buy the loot and spend... Hundreds of thousands of dollars. I shit you not. There's somebody who spent over a hundred thousand dollars in the game, in a fucking mobile game of Diablo. That's nuts. Anyway, um, when you can do that and just be the most powerful, it takes away all the fun. You wanna you wanna play and progress. 
right? No one would have had an issue as much if the microtransactions were purely cosmetic. They wouldn't have liked it, but it wouldn't have been as big of a deal, especially for mobile. If you delivered a free-to-play, fun, well-designed Diablo offshoot mobile game, and I'll tell you, folks, the graphics, the gameplay is great. It takes up a fuck ton of storage on your phone and chews right through your battery, so I don't know if it's worth all that, but it's a really good version for those who may not have a console, right? Or those who may be on the go and still want their Diablo fix. It plays well. It looks great. It's very fun. I played it, but I deleted it after the first two weeks because it was like, well, it's too much storage for one. But then also, like, I, I, I don't care that much. I don't want to pay later. It's just going to scale up the difficulty where I feel like I got to shell out a few bucks to get that new weapon. And that's ridiculous. I think they've reduced or fixed that more so, so it's better now, but I can't say for sure. So that controversy threw everyone in a tizzy and scared the shit out of everybody for what Diablo 4 was about to pull. Also, Diablo Immortal is available on PC. You could, it's free to play too. You can download it on PC and play it. It's a mobile game, but you could do it there. And that's what also scared people. They're like, what? what? So, I get it. Live service microtransactions on a full price release game of Diablo. But let me tell you once again, this game, full of content. It doesn't affect the progress at all. Everything you do is just the same gameplay loop, refined, polished, and better looking than ever before. The live service model as of right now and the cosmetic microtransactions that are in-game right now do not affect any of the gameplay whatsoever. You could buy a dope-ass skin for your character. For me, I mean, that's cool. It doesn't matter because you're looking at them from a top-down angle. So to me, it doesn't matter that much, but eh, that's fine. You'll look different. You still will look different. It, it, there are some cool designs in the shop. And the whole controversy, oh, these are $24 skins. That's fucking ludicrous. That's way too expensive. Um, but there are people who will buy it. I don't get that. You have the full game. You can play the full game. If you pay $70 for Diablo 4, you could play, you could have up to 500 hours of content for no additional penny. And it's, and I can't speak on all 500 hours being fun, but a lot of it is fun. It is, it is what you expect. So it's not that big of a deal. But live service is the model, and there are some things to that we have to keep in mind. So let me talk about the future of the game some extra thoughts, and then I'll conclude. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so I've talked about, you know, my experience, the gist of how these podcasts are formatted, uh, Diablo as a whole, Diablo 4 specifically, some of my initial impressions and thoughts as a brief summary for those who can't listen and sit through the whole podcast. Then I went in depth about the pros, most of them, uh, most of the game is pros for me. And that was the longest segment that almost clocked in at an hour whole. So <laughs> that was a long one. And then about 30 minutes on the cons. Um, I kind of went on tangents about the uh, balancing of the dynamic world scaling and the live service, but more so online servers. Those two things are the biggest issues for me that I, uh, that I actually have a problem with. Um, so yeah. All in all, though, this game is phenomenal. It's really fun, and I definitely say it's worth it if you are a Diablo fan or if you're interested and want to get into Diablo once again. Let me talk about some things that I'm uh, very curious about because this game really has a very strong start. Folks, this is the most content-heavy, feature-packed, well-polished, well-made game that bucks every fucking AAA negative trend to the side other than always online. 
and microtransactions. But the microtransactions, once again, are purely cosmetic as of right now, as of June 6th, the day one for the global release of all things, right? I've had early access, I've had hands-on, I've seen the shop, I've heard what other people have said, and so far they have reported and stayed true to what they said they were going to do so far, and it seems like we're, we're going to have early to mid-July season one, official season one of all the content that'll add new enemies, maybe new areas, new types of levels, new dungeons, right? Bunch of fixes, polishes, possibly a new class, or at least maybe new weapons, all that good content for free. But it'll also add a premium and free tiered pass. Um, a season pass for purely what is told to be cosmetic purposes. We will see. I'm pretty sure season one will stick to cosmetic. Season two, three, four, five, six, and so on. Who knows? This game could very easily, quietly slide in stuff that appears cosmetic but actually gives you stat boosts. Who knows? Right? And their justification would be if someone's willing to pay this much money for an armor piece, they should get it not only because it looks cool, but they should get it because it gets them a little bit of a boost. Which then will break the fucking game so quickly. So I don't think it should ever do that. I think it should be very clear and well known that if you decide to pay money into microtransactions for Diablo 4... You are getting something that looks exponentially cooler than anybody else. And that's it. And people care about that shit. There are people who care more about fashion than function. I understand. Personally, I don't get it. I wouldn't really do that. Um, if there's a free version and there, if there's ways to progress and unlock cool looking stuff as well for those who don't want to pay a penny, that's good too. I like looking cool. I like looking different in games as well. But that's when I spend a lot of time in it and I care about it and I care about how I present myself in the online space. I don't really care about that with Diablo. I want to be more powerful and have more fun and get better at the game. Luckily, all of that is given to you without any additional cost other than the upfront charge of buying the game itself, which it's worth the money for that alone. But live service. In some ways, for a Diablo game, that's a very good thing because what that means is it's going to have continued support, improvement, and an additional content. Mind you, Diablo 3 had updates, bug fixes, balances, improvements, taking away shit that shouldn't have been there, right? And adding stuff down the line. But it didn't get full content integration of a new act, a couple acts of a new story or a continuation of the storyline a new class, a bunch of new weapons, some new enemy designs and new dungeons and areas. It didn't get that until four years later with the Reaper of Souls expansion, which was like 20 extra bucks, which is probably worth it. And when you price evaluate that, that's um, 30 to 40 extra hours of new, fun, well-polished content with a bunch of free updates, content, fix, uh, bug fixes, balancing all that, all for the cheaper price than fucking one skin in Diablo 4. So that's, you know, that's understandable. So with the live service model, what this allows them to do is this lets them charge only for cosmetic value, and then every content, every thing that you would get that could be a DLC or expansion price point would be free. If they stick with that philosophy, this is a steal. Because 
in two years, this game could have content valued at $150, $200 if you play it through and if you're a fan of these types of games, right, of a price point, and you've only paid 70 and will only ever have to pay that for the rest of the game's life cycle. That's the goal. Here's the problem with live service games. They are based on quarterly earnings of the microtransactions and the cosmetics as well. And the player count. Most importantly, the player count and the retention of the player count. So if players are stopped playing this game all of a sudden, this game will lose support. What a, DLC, a paid DLC ensures is it ensures a bunch of new content that will come regardless because they are selling it to you. And they don't know if they'll make money. And they also know that selling that would also possibly spike interest and bring new people in. So from an Activision standpoint, they're looking at this. But they make so much money off of Call of Duty's live service model, they're thinking, well, surely Diablo could. Because, folks, Diablo 3, when it came out, and for the longest time, I think up until 2019, it was one of the highest selling video games of all time. It remained in the top 10 list for a very long time. And I didn't know that until I did some research. I don't think it's still there now. I think it's been, you know, trumped by GTA 5, Minecraft, some other stuff, right? But it's still up there in general. It's in the top 50, I believe. That's pretty high for a game that came out 10 years ago. And for a game that seems to have more of a niche uh, uh, audience, but it doesn't. It's a massive audience of fans of this game and these types of games. And so Activision is betting to capitalize on that. I don't blame them, but I also understand that the, my fears of a live service is that what if they stop it being live? Then you have all this hard work, this incredible game with this much content that is not being supported. Here's the thing though. They've made such a big investment. It's going to make so much money. It's going to have so many players that come in and come out and cycle through and all that. I'm not too worried about that. This game will probably at least have a three to five year life, life span. Battlefield 2042 is gearing itself to do that. The difference is Battlefield 2042 sucks as a base game. It, it's just not fun. It's better now, but it's not perfect. It needs a lot of improvement still. And it's getting that support. But they fumbled. The game was broken. It was buggy. It was unbalanced. It was unpolished, and when it worked, even when it worked, it was boring to play, and it changed too much for the worst. This game, Diablo 4, has done none of that. It is better in every aspect. Not every aspect, but it's better in a lot of ways. There are some more hardcore Diablo fans or fans of Diablo 2 that would say this game isn't as good as that. That's understandable. I get it. You know, you got your favorites. That's fine. But mechanically, graphically speaking, bringing this game into the new era of gaming... From graphics, the gameplay, the, the improvements, the polish, the finesse, the time it takes. This is a full-price fucking game. There is not many games of this quality that deserve this type of money. Right? We get AAA games all the time that are like maybe worth $20 or $30. And I talk about that often. What's the value for you personally, but what's also the value of quality of content and amount of content per dollar you're spending for a game? And it's to each their own how they figure that and what types of games they like and where they think they're going to spend their time. I just completed Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Well, 
almost 100% completionist everything, which I usually don't do. Finish the main story. We have one last sub-battlefield to do. It's very fucking difficult, but it's really fun. This game is phenomenal. I've talked about it before. I might do another podcast on it eventually. It's really well made. It's from Team Ninja Studios. It's very, very polished, very fun. Good graphics, good art style, great enemy variants. It's a Souls-like ninja style, more Sekiro-like. It's great. More fun with friends. It was on Game Pass, got it then, and I've been playing it ever since, on and off. And it's just been a blast. And there's going to be three DLC expansions. We'll see how much content's there. And the season pass is 30 bucks. Folks, I haven't paid a penny for this game, and I've had so much fun. It's been one of the best games I've played of 2023 so far. And and for those who don't have Game Pass, it's worth the price of admission if you're into those types of games. Wolong is definitely worth that price, in my opinion. I would have never... I probably... I might have tried it, but I would have waited for a discount. So here's what I'll say about Diablo 4. It's not on any streaming services, and it probably won't be unless the Microsoft acquisition goes through with Activision, which also will affect the live service, and no one's talking about that. Um... I was hoping that we would hear that the Activision Blizzard Microsoft deal would have closed by then. It was announced almost a year ago this month. It was in mid-June when they announced it, I believe. I think it's June 9th, so it's in three days when they announced the acquisition. And they said by mid-June they planned to close the deal and everything's going to be figured out. But because Sony and the CMA and all these people are trying to stall it for for understandable concern, but illogical conclusions. You know, they keep saying that it's, it will take away the power from Sony. And I'm like, no, it won't. Sony was still outpaced Microsoft in, in areas. Also, they just bought Bungie, which, mind you, made Halo, the flagship title of Microsoft. So... No, they're not spending $70 billion and they're not buying like a Ubisoft or an EA or an Activision. So I understand. When you buy Activision Blizzard, you get way more. Um, and people are worried because they saw what happened to Redfall and they're like, Microsoft can't manage your games. I think that's not true. Redfall was in its final stage of development. It was, it was done with pre-production and production. It was in post-production, polishing, bug-fixing, optimization by the time Bethesda was acquired. And not by the time they were acquired, by the time they migrated and was absorbed by Microsoft and their leadership. And Microsoft's leadership is more hands-off. They let studios do what they want. They give the allocation, the resources, the deadlines, and they come in if they need to. I understand that hands-off approach, and maybe there are some studios who don't benefit from that. I'm not a studio exec. I don't make video games. I don't know. But I will say that there is something to be said about that process of management that might need to be investigated. Because there is a quality lacking. Microsoft's swinging low. They're banking everything on Starfield, or whatever it's called. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> that game looks like dog shit. It just does. I'm not going to play. It's going to be day one game pets. I'm, I'll try it. I will try it at some point, but I, I'm not in a hurry. I hope it's good. I hope it for the success of Microsoft and the faith restoration process. A lot of people are banking on that, and they are banking on that. I'm like, uh, why? 
it looks like a fucking Fallout mixed with No Man's Sky. And if it's made by Bethesda, it's probably going to be boring real quick. They're spearheading other games that are far more exciting and far less ambitious. I never get that when they're like throwing all of their ambition into something that is so complex and buried. But anyway, needless to say, if they acquire Activision Blizzard, Diablo is now under Microsoft, which no one seems to be talking about that in the review. That's imminent, folks. This acquisition could close by the end of this month. And then the, uh, the transition could be a few months. So by the end of summer, say August to September, within the first three to four months of Diablo 4's long life, life sp- uh, lifespan that they're planning to have, they're now under Microsoft. Which in turn would mean unless there's provisions made in the agreement where you can't have Diablo and Blizzard games be day one Game Pass, but I think the real worry is COD, so they should be fine. Diablo will be on Game Pass. Which would be awesome. Because it's already fully cross-play and uh, I could convince my friends to fucking get it. Um, So it would be on Game Pass. Um... And that would uh, change the life the the life service. Um, the server stability would be better. Microsoft has arguably the best, other than maybe Google, the best server in- infrastructure for video game publishers. Activision Blizzard isn't too far behind. So when it's all under one company, fuck. And that's what they're investing in: mobile, cloud, and server infrastructure more than anything else. That's why they're buying Blizzard Activision. Also for the games and the IP, the Game Pass, all that shit too, in the devs. But they're buying it for that infrastructure. Microsoft is throwing $70 billion at that, not just because they like Call of Duty, Candy Crush, Diablo, Hearthstone, World of Warcraft, and everything else that Activision Blizzard does, right? Sure, they like that stuff, but they're doing it for the infrastructure of Blizz- Blizzard Net or whatever the fuck that stupid website's called, and um, you know Activision Blizzard, Blizzard does have the one of the best, most stable servers system infrastructures out there. They still have server problems; their servers still go down. It's bound to happen, right? But they do a pretty kick-ass job at keeping it all running with so much clients, so many clients on board with COD, and and they have. Some of the biggest, most popular games out there. It's bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. So I get it. Um, I get why they're trying to uh, capitalize on that. But that will affect Diablo 4's lifespan as a live service game. So I think that's something that's important to be aware of in the future if that goes through. But more importantly, that this live service thing, it can bring a lot of benefits, right? Seasonal content, events, faster deployment of fixes. I mean, they've already had some balances, bug fixes, and patches that have improved the game. And from beta to launch, the improvements are significant. I meant to point that out earlier. When I played the beta, the game was great. It was fun. The fidelity, the graphics, the lighting, the... 
There's no frame stuttering hitches on my end. It's a stable 60, possibly 120 on Series S. I don't know. It's at least a stable 60, and that's all that matters at the at the tail end. Very stable. I've had no game crashes, no game-breaking bugs, glitches. I, I haven't actually noticed a glitch or a bug yet. A few invisible walls I've hit, but that's normal game development shit, you know? A little micro-stuttering on one of the cinematics once. Who cares? That happens. It's not as bad as Cold War, Black Ops Cold War's stuttering. So, like, yeah, it's very smooth, very well-polished. Good, good start for a game. Um, so, yeah, they might... Uh... Oh, but the, the balancing and the fixing, like, Barbarian is so much more powerful. In beta, it was underpowered. I played it as the Barbarian first, and I'm like, this shit is weak. And I switched to Rogue, I'm like, how is a Rogue... Just more powerful, I see. Like, I get, like, critical, you know, precision hits and range. Obviously, it's more powerful than Barbarian at those things in some instances. But, like, how is it just that swinging and hitting enemies, basic slashing and all that, how is it that much more powerful? That, that, that doesn't seem right. I played Barbarian last night for the first time in a full release. Oh, my God. It feels like a Barbarian. I'm like, wow, okay. So this is how it should have felt. I should have started with this. So it's more fun that way. Um, not just that, the graphic fidelity. Um, also the more more content. Way more enemies and hordes and smarter and more diverse and more aggressive. I was scared about that in the beta. I mentioned that it was sparse. It didn't feel aggressive enough. Nope, that's all good. It's all really good stuff. So I'm happy and excited about that. So the live service model offers these faster deployments, these changes, these content additions, and microtransactions, of course. And it's also the reason why they have the always online servers, which is a problem. So hopefully we could get an offline version and hopefully season one is purely cosmetic and that it adds some cool content. I don't really have anything I absolutely want other than some of those things in the future. I don't have any content that I want. There's just such a content-rich game, and there's so much more to do, and I'm excited to do it. Um, I wish that the mini-map was just a smidge ticked, a little more zoomed out, so you can see a little more around you. Just like 10% more zoomed out. That would help. Um, that's about it. The... Uh, Future content, I'd love to see some new classes, some new weapons. Dungeons, that's another thing. There's a lot of dungeons, a lot of endgame dungeons. Dungeons are fine. I've heard they're not procedurally generated. That scares me. A little bit. Some people are like, oh, procedural generation, it's still just tiles, it's still just general layouts, and then they're kind of mismatched and swapped around. That's fine for Diablo. I think there's a little procedural generation and randomness. There is to the loot and to the enemy variety and the spawns of enemies, but I don't know if there is... There's none to the map. It's a very handcrafted, open-world, interconnected map. There's over 150 dungeons. That's a lot. Uh, I feel like that's going to get repetitive soon. Um, so far, it isn't. I've only been through a handful of dungeons, but I feel like after, like, 50 dungeons, they're all going to start feeling the same. Diablo 3, dungeons never felt the same. They were always exciting to explore because you never knew what was going to open up. It was literally loading and changing the tile format of the dungeon as you were walking through it. Or maybe in the loading screen, but still. You had no idea. Um, I would love that. We have better procedural generation 
implementation of such. Why not use that for just the dungeons? And it could still be that it's still a handcrafted design. That's what people don't understand. Like procedural generation isn't like just completely like, oh, this is a room. Then what's the data it's pulling from? No, it's pulling from hundreds of mixtures of assets and property types and variable landscapes and and uh, either biomes or something like that, right? It's pulling from an asset database that, uh, of all these constructed materials beforehand. So it could be 100 to 200 different variables. Just think of five variables. Think of the floor plan. Think of the walls. Think of the corridors. Think of the enemy spawn points. And think of the loot chests. I don't know if that was five. But think of all those variables. Think how many times in one instance you could switch all of those around in different areas with different aesthetics or, or um, you know puzzles or whatever think of how just those five elements you could switch around so many times and how many diverse dungeons you can make or at least semi-diverse semi-different at least 10 to 15 if not 25 right five times five so um to me that's that's what i think dungeons should do but i i don't know i haven't gotten that far i haven't played that many dungeons and no one's saying it's actually monotonous or repetitive. They're just saying it can be later down the line, depending on your your uh, sensibility. So I hope to see some more uh, improvement over that. But other than that, this has been a great first impression. Um, I know this is a long episode, but there was a lot of content to go over, and I was trying not to get in the weeds. Right? This isn't a thing where I'm telling you what's the best build or how to play it or what to look for. I don't even know yet. And that's the fun of it. I'm exploring, I'm learning, I'm having fun getting into a new Diablo. There's some MMO, light MMO components too, uh, which I meant to mention. That's why it's also always online. So there's hubs where you can see other people and they can just run into you and they can help you on these open worlds and events. And they could be doing the same quests and stuff. They get their own loot, you get your own loot, so no one's like taking each other's loot. But you have access to the same chests and things at times. Um, so it's okay. You see them in passing. It's cool. It feels like a lived-in world. And there are plenty of times where you go off and you're completely on your own. And it feels like a solo game. Or you're playing with friends. So it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a really good balance and implementation of such. Um, I feel like in the coming years, they're going to expand that. And I learned recently that Diablo 3 was originally planned to be an MMO game through and through. Which is an incredible thought. That's what the original plan was, so, and then it got changed and all that. So that's interesting. So maybe, maybe there's some DNA left in that for four. Anyway, I want to thank everyone for sticking by and listening to this long-ass podcast, but I hope you enjoyed it. I try to stay on point here, try to stay real focused, and just talk about Diablo 4. I've had a blast. I think it's a great game. My initial first 20-so hours have been nothing but fun. It is a lot of content, a lot of diversity, it is so well made and polished that you couldn't complain, really, unless you hate these types of games. In that case, how are you still here? But other than that, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate all the support. As always, I uh, look forward to continuing this. This is just part one. I plan on making a part two. Life's going to get busy. I don't know when that will be. I feel like I want to get further along. It might be once I get into Endgame. It might be sooner. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But there will be a part two. 
as I play more, as I learn more, as this game evolves over time, which it will, I highly recommend you get it if you're interested. And uh, until next time, have a great day.